0: and you can get an extra three months free, expressvpn.com slash slash film.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022. So that's 222022. I like that. Uh, On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion of The Book of Boba Fett, Chapter 6, From the Desert Comes a Stranger. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Serretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Star Wars expert and the guy that writes the review every week on Slash Brian Young.
2: Just happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Okay, as you know, we have four segments here. We have feedback, which answers your questions and just recaps some stuff that we've learned since last week's episode. We go into our brief reactions, into our beat-by-beat breakdown, and into speculation. I don't really have uh, too many emails this week, but there are a bunch of updates that I wanted to relay. Uh, First off, last week we saw that U shaped space station. It was uh, in some. I think we were even wondering, like, is that something that we've seen in Star Wars canon before? Pablo has confirmed that it is a completely new location, and he
2: won't tell us the name of it because he likes to do that. And. (laughs) You know, sometimes when he says, like, I I won't tell you the name of it, it's because he can't, because especially with Favreau Filoni stuff, like Frog Lady, (laughs) right? Like, it's not that he can't tell us what her name is. It's that they won't let anybody name her
3: yet. Or it's Supreme Leader Snoke's U Space Station. That's the official name. Oh, Mm.
2: well. Well, if that's the case, I will (laughs) gladly tip my hat to you for your prescient abilities. (laughs) Uh, Another thing we learned last week is
1: uh, there was this uh, video game that was in development called 1313, which uh, was kind of like a backdoor Boba Fett video game. And we learned that some unused concepts in that game have made it into the series. Uh, we have a whole article about that on SlashLom dot com. So I'll link to that in the show notes. I'd like to
3: point out that I actually guessed that that was the case.
1: What do you mean? Why did you guess?
3: Well, we were uh the last episode of the podcast we were talking about um these new locations and I talked oh. about how it, it kind of felt like it could have been stuff that would have uh made an appearance in the abandoned Star Wars games that Lucasfilm axed uh when Disney bought them.
1: I see. So what you're no, saying I got, is you're right. I got-
2: I thought thirteen thirteen got axed like before the sale. Like it was like there was some other problems going on there.
3: Let's not split hairs, Brian. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, one other thing,
1: and I'll link this in the show notes. Uh, last week I mentioned how we finally learned what the Jawas look like underneath their their uh, what are the hoods or what, are, cloaks. what are their clo- cloaks um, that we learned that they're furry. And, uh, actually a, a bunch of people, including Pablo posted a th- like a screenshot from a new hope that showed one of the Jawa's hands and you can see it's furry. So I, I guess that's something that we knew. And even though I've seen that movie a billion times, I did not remember that it was a furry hand. So, so there you go, Brian, I'm surprised you didn't correct me on that
2: one. You know, I, I part of it is that like, for some reason I, I have this image in my head of jawas being scaly like i feel like there was uh there was like a photo or something or a behind the scenes thing and i thought that like the black of their heads i didn't realize as a kid it was just sort of a blackout uh for the Uh... light of eyes rather than anything and so i always associated them as reptilian because of that photo as a kid but it never really entered my mind Fair
1: enough. Okay, I I had two things. I was going to bring this up in speculation, but um, I feel like this is going to be at that point, we're going to be talking about things in this episode, so I want to bring them up right before we get into this week's episode. I was re-watching last week's episode, and there's a whole moment where the Mandalorian is talking to the armorer, and there is well, there's two things here fr- from this that I wanted to to bring up, and I wanted to see what you guys think. Uh, last week, I brought up her uh, the Armor's comment. She was talking about how legends say that the Mythosaur would someday rise up and herald the new age of Mandalore. And I said on this podcast, I was like, Brian, do you think <laughs> do you think that's going to happen eventually? <laughs> and I, I think you like were like, don't be silly, Peter the myth of stores are dead or something. I don't know what you said. You said something like that. Um, I've been thinking about this guys. What if her comment is not just a bit of cool dialogue? What if her comment is kind of a clue? Like we are assuming with this Mandalorian verse that the Mandalorian Din, uh, you know, he has the dark saber. He's going to be the one to rise up and, uh lead Mandalore is gonna be part of the rebirth and leadership of Mandalore. What if that is not Din's arc? What if the arc actually is that Boba Fett is going to realize his legacy uh being, you know, uh, a clone of uh, someone of Mandalorian descent, like actual descent, like a, a bloodline unlike Din. And uh, you know he's becoming somewhat of a leader. What if his his end game here is actually to become the leader of Mandalore? And I say that because he has a signet that is the is the mythosaur, so that would that would fulfill the prophecy in a in a certain point of view. So wait, you think Boba Fett's going to make a bid for Mandalore? I I think he's – well, I'm just proposing this. I'm not sure if I think this, but I'm proposing what if by the end of this whole Mandalorian verse, which is I'm sure many years out, that at the end it's not Din or Grogu uh, leading Mandalore in a new era of Mandalore. What if it is Boba Fett?
2: Maybe that's the Boba Fett arc. I think they would have done more to make it more interesting. If that was the case. What do you mean? I don't, I, I guess like the reason I think everybody's excited more about these last couple of episodes is that Boba Fett isn't as exciting of a character as he used to be. And I don't know. I I think they're aiming for Din Djarin. I think they've realized that Boba Fett is now officially playing second fiddle to Din Jaren, And I think he's the one who's going to have to have those complications. Maybe Boba Fett is planning that, but, I mean, it's like Maul going, ah, I want to take over Mandalore. Like, why? Like, you have no connection to this planet? Well, um, I,
1: I don't think he, he's planning it right now. What I'm proposing is that through the through a couple seasons of this, he will learn to embrace his Mandalorian legacy. And he's becoming somewhat of a leader. I feel like he's gone from... From, you know, Bounty Hunter, to he's trying to be a gangster, but hes I think he's really more learning that he wants to be a leader.
2: I guess I just don't see the Mandalorian legacy other than the armor. Like, his dad might have been a Mandalorian at one point, but that's, like, me saying, like, my dad was a doctor. I'm a doctor, too.
1: <laughs> but I thought they showed um, at one point in last season of Mandalorian, they showed his, like, DNA sequence or something. Well, J- his Django DNA pets. sequence is
2: identical to Django's, but Django was a foundling and fought in one conflict and then left, and then. Oh, was dude, he a foundling? Ray... He wasn't of Mandalorian uh-huh. descent. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, there goes my theory. Well, remember if I end if this ends up being true, I said it first here. I probably <laughs> won't. Okay.
2: Okay. I, I don't mean uh, to just poke holes in it. It's just like uh, I just don't see Boba Fett being that integral after Din Djarin at this point. No, I, I I definitely see that. It's just I I
1: just don't feel like I feel like we're in the first act of this whole Mandalorian verse thing at this point. So I think my problem is, you know, we've been talking about the problem of the Boba Fett arc. But my problem with the Mandalorian arc is he already has the Darksaber. He already kind of knows, like, it, it, he seems like he's already on the path for, like, the third act, right? Of, mm-hmm. like, he, he wants to be the one that lead Mandalorian. And that doesn't seem like where we're going to end up.
2: I mean, it's, I, again, like, with these these last couple of episodes of Mandalorian, like it doesn't feel like they're taking the, the swerves to the left or, you know, those hard right turns or left turns to make things really unexpected. I think it's a very, I think it's very predictable and I don't think they're actually going to deviate from that predictability. Fair enough. Um,
1: Okay. The other thing I wanted to bring up, is in the last episode, the armorer convinced Mando that he should melt the Beskar spe- uh, spear because it could hurt other Mandalorians. She said, which uh, it, it makes sense to for uh, the Mandalorian only to have like Beskar use it for defense only and not offense. But then I remember that the first season of Mandalorian, the armorer was the one that suggested when when Din got some Beskar, she was like, oh, do you want me, after making this um this armor for you, we have some leftover, do you, do you want me to use this, this Beskar to make some whistling birds out of Beskar for you? You know, whistling birds, which are an offensive weapon that could do damage to Mandalorian. Like, I don't know, it seems like not
2: consistent. I wonder if the whistling birds was the gauntlet. Like, she turned it into the gauntlet to fire them, and they're just, like, charges or something, you know what I mean? Like, Mm. that that was mm. that was how i interpreted that brad do you have any thoughts on either of these things
3: no not really <laughs>
1: okay. okay fine fine we'll just move on then uh you know i've been doing i've been doing enough talking so let's go into our brief thoughts i'm gonna i'm gonna start things off with brian brian what are your brief thoughts on episode six
2: uh, You know, they did, they surprised me in all of the ways I sort of expected that they could surprise me, if that makes sense. Like, in my headline for my review, I was like, it brings expected surprises. And people are like, how can you have a, a surprise that's expected? And it's like, well, I watched the last episode. Um, Like, I don't, I didn't think they'd go as far as they did. And I think that's the surprising part about it. Um. <laughs> overall I think structurally this is such a weird mishmash like it doesn't make sense structurally from like like on paper right you're looking at it and you're like why are we spending all this time with Luke and Grogu and why does it keep going back and forth with them and this doesn't quite make sense for a Boba Fett show and like Din Djarin gets one scene with Boba Fett and then takes off to have more scenes with other people again and and like It just feels a little bit unbalanced for the Boba Fett story. Like even like Din Jaren's stuff last week was like, Oh, it's building up him being on Tatooine and the pikes and his journey and everything. Okay. I get it. Um, But this one just felt structurally all over the place. But the thing about it is that emotionally the structure was very sound. Like Filoni managed to craft something that was maybe oblong in shape on paper, but, emotionally resonated from beat to beat without a problem. And I think that's the most important thing, right? Like um, it's, it's Walter merch, uh, I don't know if either of you have read his book um, in the blink of an eye. Um, yeah, but it's a great book. Uh, it's a, it's, it's terrific, but he talks about how, like when you're editing like emotion, the right emotion is like 51% of how you make a decision for the cut. Right? Like, even if the continuity's wrong, even if it doesn't match the motion in the shot before, like you want to make sure that the emotion is right because that's the thing people are gonna feel the most. And I feel like that was the equivalent of this episode. Like they picked this episode because the emotion was right, not necessarily because it was the right shape.
1: Well, the thing is, if this was the first and second episodes of Mandalorian season three. I don't think there's anything wrong with these two episodes, but it being the f- fifth and sixth episodes of Boba Fett is where people are having a problem. But uh, Brad, what, what are your brief thoughts on this week's episode?
3: Yeah, I mean the the past two episodes have been been great, but like again they they are episodes of the Mandalorian. This is these aren't episodes of the Boba Fett series, and so like as good as it as it is, and as silly as a complaint it might be like if you have a show that's called The Book of Boba Fett it should be prominently about Boba Fett and to have two episodes that are almost entirely dedicated to Mandalorian's story and the second episode barely featuring uh Boba Fett's story it shows just how kind of insignificant everything else that has happened so far really is and this maybe should have been a more uh a more broad Star Wars series that fo- that focused on something larger rather than making it seem like it was just going to be about Boba Fett. Because when you focused on him and this new path that he's on for you know those first um, few episodes, like you're establishing that this is his story. And while the Mandalorians uh, stuff does tie into his story because Boba Fett came back at the end of the Mandalorian, it's it's not like. You know, when Boba Fett showed up in the second season of The Mandalorian, The Mandalorian suddenly became about Boba Fett. But these two episodes are definitely about The Mandalorian and Grogu and Luke and Ahsoka. So it just feels like too much of a departure for this to be just like a little side thing that is tied into The Mandalorian. So I, I was, I'm was i frustrated in that regard, but I still love these episodes. I love what they're doing with the characters. I, I still think that maybe it's too soon to dive back into Luke and Grogu, and I wish there was a little more time before we dealt with this, but, you know, they are putting a difficult choice on on Grogu at such a, uh, you know, young age, and that's a big deal, but, like, having this kind of, uh, having the cliffhanger they have in this episode even feels weird for a show that, again, is supposed to be focused on Boba Fett and is setting the stage for the finale to what Boba Fett has been doing for the rest of this season. And it just it just feels like all of this kind of just came out of of nowhere and took took over the Boba Fett series. And it's it's being it painfully clear why it's so hard to care about Boba Fett and the rest of the show.
2: So the thing I I thought about as far as that goes is I really feel like this is. This was part of some plan for Mandalorian season three, and then Filoni and Favreau convinced the powers that be kathy kennedy or whoever that they should be allowed to just like expand these three episodes of mando season three into seven of a boba fett series you know what i mean like it feels like that was the genesis of it because these two episodes feel so much more consequential and new based on like we'd seen everything else before you know what i mean like it feels like this was This was really just supposed to be more Mandalorian, but they're like, we could market it as Boba Fett.
1: Yeah, I mean, last week's episode, I could see the argument that the stuff going on with Mando and the Armorer and that sect and all that stuff could somehow have to do with Boba Fett, like that it somehow feeds into this whole main storyline but now that you've done two episodes, and then there's Luke and Gro- Luke training Grogu, I'm not sure what that has to do with anything having to do with Boba Fett. Um, but it it's, like, the, uh, like the
3: only the, the only like thing that would would help, I guess, make it more sense is if Boba Fett and the Mandalorian and Grogu story become intertwined more permanently from here on out, and that's not out of the realm of possibility. But this just feels like a weird way to, to do that.
2: Well, I wonder, too, like next week's episode is going to bring all of these characters together. And it wouldn't make sense to have Luke and Grogu show up next week if there wasn't, you know, if there wasn't this episode to explain why Luke all of a sudden shows up on Tatooine with Grogu in a in a little Mandalorian uh, chainmail. I don't even understand why Mandalorian is needed for
1: this conflict. Like, it felt okay. I, w- I want to get off this training uh, train of thinking because you know what, guys? F it. I love this episode. I love this episode. I loved last week's episode. And I know I should care about the the consistency. I, I should care that this is a Boba Fett show and we're not giving a Boba Fett show. I should care that, like, this is so such an oddly. The The pacing of this season has been so weird and so probably badly designed. I don't care. I enjoyed both of the last week's episode and this episode so much as a Star Wars fan that it, it, I don't know. I, I'm not going to let it bother me because this is like the Star Wars that I love. This is the kind of like, I don't know, th- there might be too much felony here. You know what I mean? Like there might be too many characters crammed in here for their own good. Like, I'm not sure Ahsoka really needs to be there for this episode. Um, and maybe there's a little bit too many, like, you know, references for references sake, but I really can't complain about any of it. I, 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 I really enjoyed it for the most part. Um, I, I mean, I guess we can get into our criticisms and stuff a little bit later on. But uh, b- Brad, did you have anything else to say about this episode?
3: No, that's pretty much it. And like... uh. Uh, I love this episode, too. Like, I don't really think there's a lot wrong with this episode. It yeah. just seems like it's an unfortunate fit into what the series we were led to believe was going to be.
2: I wonder I, I wonder if it's all going to hit differently once we see the totality of the Mandalorian-verse stories. And they're just banking on the fact that they can see a whole picture that we can't.
1: I almost wish that this was titled The Mandalorian, colon, The Book of Boba Fett. But would that yeah, make I think us think that, any differently? Would that would I have, mean, prefer-
3: I it's you know at this point like I will admit it seems silly to like have such a weird complaint, but that would make it like just feel like it's more properly a spinoff as opposed to a a a, bo- a series that is squarely focused on Boba Fett. Because even so, like sure, technically the book of Boba Fett it, it still does qualify as a spinoff from the Mandalorian but because it is that title does hone in on boba fett and like that it, it feels like it inherently lays out that this is his new story to put so much of a focus on the mandalorian for nearly two entire episodes just feels out of sorts and i don't want to say ill advised but it's just it's just weird it's it feels weird i don't i don't think any other show has done anything like this as far as, like, a spinoff is concerned.
1: Yeah, I can't think of an example. Okay, let's jump into the breakdown. This chapter begins with a drug deal in the desert. The Pikes are exchanging uh, a Camtono of credits for a chest of spice. And I don't know about you guys, but doing this exchange in the middle of the desert where there's like the, the noise from the moisture evaporators working around them kind of reminds me of like those movie scenes where you see like the mob meeting someone like out near like the oil wells. So like Oh yeah. Like, uh, I'm sure
3: that's intentional too. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There um, was, there was definitely a lot of like mob movie moments in this episode. Well, maybe you can point
1: them out for us uh, when, when we get to them. Um, so Cobb Vanth shows up, and I was so excited because, you know, this is something I've been waiting for this entire season. I've wanted Cobb Vanth uh, to, to come back. Uh, were you guys excited to see him?
3: Yeah, I actually literally went, yeah. <laughs> I, I,
2: I was really excited to see him, too. And, like, this whole episode from the very first scene just put a smile on my face. Oh, for sure. It, it's actually uh, this
1: week and last week. I haven't been able to watch uh, the show with Kitcher because she's quarantining in, in the bedroom because she has, she got COVID finally. Um, and.
3: I like, uh, I like how you say finally, like we've been waiting to get it. <laughs>
1: well, I, I mean, it's been two years. We avoided it for two years. or. Almost I, I years. know.
3: It's just funny. This just, just seems like finally we just, we, we got yeah. it and we're couldn't be more thrilled.
1: <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm definitely not thrilled about it, but, um, <laughs> but uh, I haven't been able to watch this show with her and. Last night's episode, I literally, like we were watching at the same time from two different rooms. I'm like, Cobb Vanth shows up. I just like screamed and you could hear her scream. I don't know. It's just kind of funny. <laughs> um, okay. So Vanth pitches that they leave, but it doesn't work out that way. A shootout results and three of them dead. Uh, he sends the last one on his way with a message to the syndicate to stay out of Mos Pelgo And he takes the chest of spice, worth more than the town is worth, apparently, as a fine for the trespassing. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys, like, why did he decide to choose to take the spice and not the credits? Because the credits could actually do good for the town, where the spice, he he just decides to, like, kick it into the sands of Tatooine.
2: I think what they said in there, where the spice is worth a lot more than the whole town... And I think what they're implying, it's like that, it's like yeah. that, that moment in uh, the professional where uh, Matilda just starts pouring the rubbing alcohol on all the, uh, the heroin and lights it on fire, and Leon is just like, "Why are you doing that?" And she's like, who do you thinks th- who do you think this hurts? No women, no kids, right? Who do you think this hurts?" And I think it's the same thing where like the money would be a small measure of that, but taking away the drugs and then getting rid of them is a bigger net positive impact on the community than just that one Camtano of money.
1: And it it goes to show, uh, you know who this Marshall is too. I think that he, he could have done something with those drugs or done something with the money, but he just kicks it into the sands of Tatooine. um, Okay, so we get the title of this episode from the desert comes a stranger. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I, I thought in the beginning of this episode, maybe, maybe is this talking about Cobb Vanth? Uh, but he's not really a stranger to us. The Pikes came in to Mos Pelgo, so maybe they're the stranger. Uh, later in the episode, I thought maybe uh, Mando is the stranger coming going to that Jedi temple, or but at the end of the episode, I think it's Cobb or Cab Bain. Uh What do you think, Brian?
2: I think it's all of the above, right? I think that's why I really liked this title where it's because each of them are strangers to each other, but I think it can also refer to Luke Skywalker who is, uh, you know, oh. a stranger from, from the desert to all of these people, essentially. And definitely uh, for, for the Mandalorian, he's a stranger. But I think Cad Bane is certainly one of them. I think Cobb Vanth is one of them, and it evokes that sense of of you know spaghetti western where that that lone gunman walks in off the distance, and that's what everybody on the show is trying to be.
1: For sure. Okay, so Mando flies his modified Naboo starfighter to a planet filled with mountains and trees, where Luke Skywalker is building a new Jedi temple. Do we know anything about this planet? Do we know what the name of this planet
2: is? Do we have any information? Um, no. Um Okay. They they haven't named it. I think part of that again was that whole like JJ didn't name it and Ryan Johnson didn't contradict JJ's not a- naming it, and then Favreau and Filoni are like, why do we need to name it? Like if we don't have to give it a name, why why would we?
1: Um, okay, so he is greeted by R2-D2, uh, says he's looking for Skywalker, which I believe might be the first time he says the name Skywalker, because I think he called him just the Jedi in the Mandalorian series, and R2 uh, takes him through a bamboo forest where they find a bunch of ant droids building something. And uh, also, the I, I want to mention the audio description calls them ant droids. Is, have we seen these
2: dro- kind of droids before? Uh, no, no, we haven't. They look like three gonk droids scotch taped together like like ants.
1: Yeah, I love their designs. It's very practical and also kind of like based on nature with like that little like almost like an ant's head where it has like that uh the pinchers in the front.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love the cinematography on the way to this too. It felt very much like, um, a Kurosawa film, right? There's shots specifically I'm thinking of in like Rashomon with the, the sun through the bamboo. Um, it really evokes that Kurosawa vibe in really cool ways. Uh, we should mention that this is directed
1: by Dave Filoni and the director of photography is, uh, Dave Klein again. Uh, but yeah, it look uh, this this episode uh, was one of the more beautiful looking episodes of of the season. Uh, so Mando is forced to wait to see Grogu, kind of like how people who came to watch the show about Boba Fett are forced to wait to see that. And <laughs> elsewhere on the planet, Grogu and Luke are meditating, but uh,
2: the child becomes distracted by this frog, and at first he like what. I was going to say, I wanted to say something about R2, but I can wait until we get through the frog Oh, no, no. Tell us about R2. Well, no, I just, watching it a second time, it's really funny where R2 pretty much goes up to the android and goes, build this guy a bench. Right? (laughs) Where it's like, he's going to be waiting a while. And that's, you realize that's the conversation R2 is having with the android because they immediately, they listen to R2, they stop working on the... The temple, and they build him a little a little bench to rest on, and it's so funny that R two just doesn't answer his questions, doesn't care, just like he's going to be waiting a while, and he
1: like just turns off too, right? You like yeah, just himself. like yeah,
2: nope, we're going to be, be
1: here a while, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so the, the child becomes distracted by this frog, and at first he doesn't go for it, but then he levitates it and almost uh, tries to eat it, but Luke catches him. Brad, how great is it to see Grogu again on on the the screen?
3: I mean, it's it, it's good as even though I feel like it's a little too soon to see him. Like the, the this little guy is just so cute, and like I love that he's involved in you know obviously there's Jedi training here, but he can't help but like still have these like little you know whims and like desires, and like I love the shot where he just like opens his one eye a little bit like, to look at the frog, like, hmm, I really (laughs) want that.
1: (laughs) He tries, he fights it, though, but in the end, he he does, yeah,
3: he's, yeah, he he tries, he's, like, he closes both of his eyes, and he's, like, no, I can't do it, and then he's, like, no, I gotta have it.
1: (laughs) Am I reading too much into the hijinks of Grogu in thinking that, like, not only is this a funny, like, you know, just moment, but it's also clear that he's, instead of trying to further his education and uh, being a Jedi and stuff so like that, he's thinking about himself here. Like he's like, "Ooh, I I would like to eat. I'm hungry."
3: Yeah, a little bit, but like he's still, you know, still like a, a kid in this way. And kids when they're in school and stuff like that, and this is essentially school for him right now, just a different kind. They they always get distracted by stuff and they have their their childish desires. So it it, it makes it makes perfect sense. Um, and like I feel like that, you know, knowing that about Grogu and seeing that he's still you know, infatuated by these things also makes uh you know what comes later that much more difficult and challenging of a prospect uh to face.
2: I was gonna say so much of this mirrors Empire Strikes Back in, in some ways with yeah. the training too, and Grogu eating the frog could be very much an analog of Yoda stealing Luke's nutrition stick.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Uh and Luke levitates like a dozen frogs. Uh, to Grogu's delight but I, I think this shows him that like if he takes if he takes these teachings seriously that he too can eat a dozen frogs so
3: well I think I actually think that it's I mean it's a pivotal moment to, to I guess to kind of show Grogu is like you can always go for something that you like immediately desire but know that like there's always going to be that temptation all around and like you you like sure you can take advantage of this time to get this one frog if you want to but there's always going to be a frog for you to distract you to take you away from what you should be focusing on.
2: I thought the filmmaking there was really elegant because I think that it says so much without actually saying anything.
3: Yeah, it's great visual storytelling for sure. Yeah.
2: And I also love the frogs who like don't know what's going on. They're
1: like just like what is going on? They're like flipping in the air. Um we we should talk about Luke Skywalker. So this is the first time we've seen him since that uh, scene in Mandalorian season two and uh, that that was kind of criticized. What did you what did you make of him in this episode, Brad?
3: Uh, well, a lot of people have already said this online and we wrote an article about it, too, is he looks infinitely better uh, in this episode than he did in the second season of The Mandalorian. Um I don't know if it's because Industrial Light and Magic uh, hired that deep fake technology content creator uh, known as uh, Shamook on YouTube, or if they just like really dug into it and realized they needed to do something a little bit better if they were going to bring Luke Skywalker back. But there are shots in this episode where uh, if I had seen it, I would, I would be like, this is a deleted scene from *Return of the Jedi. Uh, there there are shots where it looks absolutely <laughs> perfect. It's incredible what they did. Uh, it Leaps and bounds better than his appearance uh, at the end of Mandalorian season two. There are still a handful of shots every now and then where it looks a little bit awkward and not quite as great, but almost every shot in this, uh, in this episode is, is better than any given shot in from Mandalorian season two. They're
2: going to have this perfected in a year or two. Like we're never, like it's just moving ahead at light speed. Oh, for sure. I also think it's interesting
1: that they kind of, you didn't, see luke say anything it was all like done off camera at first and then they kind of eased into actually showing him talking and stuff uh i'm wondering if that had something to do with it uh i mean it did look a lot better i'm not sure there's something about the voice and i understand it's it's mark hamill doing the voice right yeah there's something about the voice that seems a little off to me and i'm not sure i can't place my finger on it
2: He's 40 years older doing the voice. <laughs>
3: yeah, I know. But no, I get, I get what you're saying. And it does t- it does take me out of it a little bit as well. But uh, it's definitely I think they're doing the best they can with the tools that they have. And I don't, I'm not sure how hard it would be to find a voice actor out there who could do the voice as well as they're doing Mark Hamill's voice and just manipulating it. Because um, I think the problem might be is that they they seem to be emulating a very specific tone of voice and cadence that Luke has only in certain parts of Return of the Jedi, and I feel like applying it to every single thing that he's saying makes it sound um, a little too like, what's the word I'm looking for? Um,
1: unnatural, because it's almost like it's, it's Jedi Master Luke Skywalker. Yeah, uh,
3: but all the time. Like, all the yeah. Yeah, all the time he's talking with that very, like, philosophical wise tone of voice, and Luke didn't always talk like that. So I, I I feel like they're they're they've honed in on a very specific way that Luke talked at certain points, and so it doesn't always sound like a real person talking.
2: I wonder how much of that is Mark Hamill bringing that that element of the performance to the table and sort of insisting on that too.
3: Hmm. That's possible.
1: I, I do think that you nailed it though. That that is my problem with it, or that's why like does uh, just rings. Wrong. Maybe it's because, you know, we've seen so much of Luke other than the Jedi Master Luke tone. Um, But, okay, uh, they go for a walk. Luke tells Grogu that he looks like this other person he knows that he knew that was his Master Yoda. Some people have said online, I wanted to bring, bring this up here. Is Luke telling Grogu that he reminds him of the only other guy that he's met from the same species somehow space racism?
3: Yeah, kind of racist, Luke, just a little bit.
1: <laughs> and he's like, oh, do you also talk backwards, too? <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: Are you all the same? No, I, I, I'm, I'm 75% joking.
2: I um, loved this walk, too, though, like how he's <laughs> levitating Yo, uh, Grogu to, like, bring him up with yes. him, like, it was so just charming and it made so much sense for the scene. And they didn't have to do that, right? Like they could have just told Mark Hamill and his double like, hey, just slow down. But adding that, it just feels magical, especially when you've got the undercurrents of Yoda's theme playing over this conversation. It's just it, it's a really great marriage of words, pictures and, and sound.
1: Yeah, and, and that's a filmmaking problem that I think they've had to deal with with The Mandalorian in, in the sense of you have this child that doesn't really, you know, like almost crawls at a, like a, a crawl's pace. And in the first season, they had him in that pram. In the second season, like, like here, it sets up a story that happens over this episode of Luke teaching him how to jump so that I, I feel like eventually when we get to Mandalore in season three and he's, you know, with Mando, I assume, you know, we won't have to have some kind of plot device to allow him to catch up to Mando. Like he can, you know, catch up on his own terms. So, um, okay, so Luke asks Grogu uh, about Grogu's past and he uses the force to see Grogu's repressed memories and I wanted to say that I like how this memory sequence is almost presented in the same kind of, like, effect that they used when Anakin Skywalker had his dreams in the prequels. It has, like, that uh, distortion around the edges and stuff like that. Uh, so in this memory, we see three Jedi facing off with a dozen or so clone troopers in a hallway. And they're overwhelmed and killed before the
2: troopers are to discover the child. Do we know who any of these Jedi are? So I thought for a minute that the Jedi in the center was Sindralig, who was the Jedi that uh, stunt coordinator Nick Gallard played. Their hair was very similar. There was a lot of stuff similar about them. But then I remembered that um, Sindralig actually dies on screen in the hologram of Vader killing younglings in Revenge of the Sith. And I went through and sort of tried to to do some some visual ID on some other Jedi that we knew were at the temple or that we knew about. And I couldn't come up with anything. And I realized they probably showed them all from the back because um, they didn't want to pick any specific Jedi to to do that, to um, maybe distract from the storytelling or whatever. But I just started bawling when I saw this. So that's me.
1: Yeah, this moment was awesome. I mean, this is obviously on Coruscant after Order 66 has been called. And I, uh, in my second viewing of this, I, I noticed that there's a symbol on the wall, um, which I it took me a little bit to figure out what the symbol is. But it's the
2: crest used by Barris Offi,
1: I think, it is yeah. the
2: female... She's a Miri Allen, and she was the Padawan of Luminara Unduli. She was the one who turned against the Jedi Order and framed Ahsoka for that murder that sent her on the run and away from the Jedi Order completely. Um, She ended up getting um, arrested at this point, uh, very close to Order 66, um, and she hasn't been on the map since. A lot of people thought that the Seventh Sister in... Rebels was going to turn out to be Baris Um, But I think that's a little overly optimistic. Is like, do you think Anakin Skywalker, even as Darth Vader, is going to let the person who wronged his Padawan so thoroughly live?
1: And uh, the symbol was featured on Ophi's quarters in the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. And I know that because it appeared in one episode of The Clone Wars titled The Wrong Jedi. So this might be the deepest dive reference in this episode. I think um, it's also interesting that I think Grogu's childhood memories, like the the uh, the trauma that Grogu is kind of trying to suppress, kind of mirrors Din's childhood memories. You know, like in yeah. Mando season one, we saw him kind of running in the the war. He he gets saved though.
2: We don't know if anybody's going to save Grogu. Well, somebody does because Grogu's still here 50 years later.
3: Yeah, yeah I feel so like there's a reason that they probably cut that off, too, before like whoever did save him saved him or whatever happened. I feel like that's that's a story for another day.
1: Okay, so Luke tells Grogu that he'll teach him to protect himself. And Mando wakes up to find Ahsoka. Uh, she's there. She says he's a friend of of the family and she's not training Grogu. Luke is the one training him. You know, it was cool to see Ahsoka here. It was a, uh, a nice surprise, but I mentioned in my brief thoughts, I'm not sure she needed to be in this episode. What service does, what story purpose does she serve other than exposition? Like they could have just had Luke
2: said, say any of the lines. But then you'd have Grogu necessarily needing to interact with him or Luke leaving Gro- Grogu alone to speak with the Mandalorian. Um, Ahsoka creates a barrier between the Mandalorian and Luke and Grogu. And Ahsoka is also a character that that um, the Mandalorian recognizes. So she's already a familiar face. They've already fought side by side. They've already worked together. And she has his respect Luke has his suspicion, if that makes sense. Mm. And so putting Din on sides with Ahsoka and having Ahsoka explain it to him, I don't think Luke would have been able to make that choice clear enough to the Mando because I don't think he trusted him, but I think he does trust Ahsoka after what they went through.
1: I also... I also, I, I think I much would have preferred to see Ahsoka meet her first encounter with Luke than them already being acquainted?
3: I think that there's the potential that we'll still see that, maybe even in the Ahsoka series.
2: Fair enough. I would would also say, too, that on a show called The Book of Boba Fett, it's (laughs) not the right place. I mean, like, a lot of this is already a diversion from that (laughs) idea of The Book of Boba Fett, but... Ahsoka and Luke Skywalker's first meeting is something that would require an hour on its own rather than a small part of this episode, which is a small part of Boba Fett saga, which is a small part of the Mando's saga, right? Like, that's a huge moment. And this implies that they've already been doing this for a little while. And she has told him about her father. And I really like she got to reunite with R2. Which makes me very happy, and oh, yeah. they didn't show that either.
1: Okay, so we we learned that this is a new Jedi Academy, Academy that's being built here, and we got to assume this is the same Jedi Academy that uh, the Knights of Ren flashbacks take place in.
2: Um, looking back at them, uh, they look—they're they, built with the same architecture. It may not be the exact same building, but they are the same sort of rocks and that situation yeah um so Mando is able to see Grogu
1: from afar and settles on Ahsoka giving Grogu the wrap parcel he brought for him instead of actually seeing him uh he came all this way but him willing to give up seeing Grogu because he knows it might be the best thing for the child with such like an emotional self-sacrifice I I, I actually cried guys so what did you think of this, this
2: moment? I mean, I, I felt like it was very in character with, with the Mandalorian because it would have been wrong for him to, it would have been a wrong character choice for them to have given up Grogu and then come back and immediately like interfered with his training and snatched him back up again. Um, Grogu really needs to make that choice. And I think that's part of what ah- Ahsoka was trying to say too. Like, I don't, dictate the wants of others. And that's something he's learning. I think that's one of the things I really love about Din Jaren in general is that he's constantly learning. He's a sponge from everyone he meets and, and respects and incorporates that into his, his own iteration of the Mandalorian creed. I'm also wondering, you know, Mando is finally face to face with
1: a force user who on the regular uses a a laser sword and he's recently been finding trouble wielding his dark saber. Why didn't he ask Ahsoka or Luke to help him out with the dark saber while he's there? I mean, he already came all the way there. He's in a hurry to help Boba Fett. It's his show. Remember? (laughs) Yeah. I mean I, you just reminded me, so okay, uh, <laughs> it's I know it's easy to forget with the last two weeks we've been yeah. having, yeah, okay, so Luke continues grogu's training by teaching him to jump. uh there's something wonderful about seeing like this turn around of you know Yoda training Luke, and now we're seeing like kind of the opposite with young Grogu being trained by Luke. it's you know I guess like uh it it's like poetry at rhymes. Or whatever. (laughs) Uh, Brad, what did you think of this whole training sequence?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's obviously there's, you know, throwback to Empire Strikes Back. Um, But like, I, you know, I love seeing Yoda, little baby Yoda, uh, as it were, um, jumping around and leaping and, you know, getting hit by the remote training droid. And it's just, it makes all the training that Luke did so much more cute.
1: Uh, Brian, did you have any thoughts on this whole training montage?
3: Um,
2: I I like how it it splits that difference between Empire Strikes Back and Attack of the Clones, too, where it shows you really what a spry young iteration of Yoda species is capable of and how far Yoda was reaching into those wells of himself in order to fight Dooku thusly. And it ties a little bit into that new High Republic book that came out this week. Um, has a little bit of that too with Yoda as a, a younger man doing that fighting and uh, that sort of jumping and hopping around. And it's just, I don't know, it's really, it's really fun. Yeah.
1: I love when uh, the child is balancing on that bamboo shoot and Luke is doing his like sparring with the lightsaber. And we just see the awe like in Grogu's face. It's like a close up of Grogu's face. And you just see like, the lightsaber in his eyes and how much he like, he's just ready for that life. I think um, at one point, Luke uses a training remote to train Grogu to f- uh, flip and jump. And you know, like you said, there's shades of Yoda from the prequels and also the high Republic stuff. And I really like the music, the score here. Um, mm-hmm. So Ahsoka says that Luke taught him well and he responds that it's more like remembering than he's actually teaching him anything. So does this insinuate that... I, I know this... Uh, Grogu is 50 years old when we meet him in Mandalorian, which means uh, the Clone Wars when Order 66 happened... How many years before that is it, so,
2: approximately? Uh, Luke, at at this point, is between... Um... He's it's not that. I'm not far, talking about actually. Luke, I'm talking about um, but Grogu Luke is from... but I'm saying uh Order sixty six is kind of what I'm trying to peg how far back it was, and Luke was born like that week. Um so, so if Luke in this is between twenty three and twenty six or twenty eight, um we're looking at at twenty five to thirty years before that. So Grogu's probably twenty in the flashback.
1: So he was at the Jedi Academy until he was like 20 or 25 ish, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But it seems like he learned a lot because Luke seems to think that like he had already been taught this stuff and he's just remembering. Like he's repressed these memories because obviously he got captured, uh, maybe not by in dur- during Order 66, but you know, we saw him captured when we met him in Mandalorian season one. So he's definitely repressed these memories because he doesn't want the the remnants of the empire to get a hold of the information. I'm guessing, and also it's you know horrible stuff that happened to him that he saw as a youngling. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, I also think this is smart from a <laughs> from a filmmaking perspective. This makes it smart because if he goes back to Mando at some point in the next season of Mandalorian. He could have leveled up significantly without having to had, you know, years of time jump of training, because he's already, yeah. yeah so, um, so Ahsoka saying sometimes the student guides the master. Uh, I like that moment. Uh, Ahsoka presents Luke with Mando's gift, and Luke's response is sometimes I wonder if his heart is in it. Which she responds so much like your father, or you're so much like your father. Which I I don't know. All all this interaction with Ahsoka, I, I feel like Brian, you probably were eating this up.
2: Oh yeah, no, it's it's something. I mean, like we've talked about it over the 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 course of the last few seasons of TV. We've been doing this. Like, I really think those are moments that need to be addressed. And I think that the prequel or the sequel trilogy sort of skipped over them. Um, in Ryan Johnson's case, necessarily so. In J.J.'s case, maybe not so much. But there, there are these characters out there who had connections with the Skywalker parents, and there's a reckoning to be had about that. There's understanding to be gained about that. And with Hayden Christensen joining um, the cast of Ahsoka. I think we might get more of that and that might be where we will see more of that. But this, it was just a hint, but it was just enough for my mind to just race with possibilities about what they'd done, where they'd been, what she'd taught him, why she's involved, how she's involved. Um, And it, it puts him on the table for being on her show too. If she does find grand Admiral Thrawn and we get an heir to the empire style story that this is all leading to where the Mandalorians and uh, Ahsoka and and you know remnants of the rebels and Luke all have to team up to defeat Thrawn and the Imperial Redmond and Moff Gideon that's thrilling to think about
1: that would be awesome for sure and just like that to take it away from us Brian because Ahsoka's leaving and Luke asks will he see her again and uh, she says perhaps which probably means she will, we will, I don't know, maybe we won't. Do you think she's going off on the journey to in search of Ezra at this point?
2: I think that's a possibility. I mean, the thing is, is that Felonius fashioned Ahsoka as Gandalf the White in this era, right? Yeah. Or Gandalf in general, where she'll just take off, right? Like this is this is her in The Hobbit uh, as Gandalf going like, I know you guys are all going into the dark, spooky forest, but I'm going to go over this way and take care of this thing over here.
1: Okay, guys, we did it. We're 27 minutes into this 47-minute episode, and Mando has finally set foot on Tatooine. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so now we are finally back uh, to Boba Fett's storyline, kind of, maybe. Uh, Fennec gives, gives us the recap. The mayor is on vacation or staying away. The pikes are about to move in. The three crime families are willing to lay low to let it happen. Uh, They have experienced enforcers in the form of Black K and Mando, but the lack of foot soldiers uh, means that they don't have enough for this war, and Mando might be able to help with that. So just as Boba Fett comes into the picture again,
2: uh, he's out because Mando travels and... uh, can I say something about that moment yeah. when he walks in? Because it's so Return of the Jedi in two ways. One, oh, wow. um, it it evokes the rebel briefing for Death Star 2 in Return of the Jedi where everybody's planning everything and they're like, I don't know how we're going to solve this. And then Luke actually is the one who arrives and says, "Like I'm with you too. Um, Mandalorian does that here, but he does it with that same moment and head nod that Boba Fett gives Um, Leia at the beginning of Return of the Jedi in Jabba's palace. And it really feels like um, Din Djarin is sort of what Boba Fett was 10 years ago. Right? In the timeline. 10 years ago in the timeline, not 10 years ago in our time. And that Boba Fett has really sort of graduated from that. And it gave me the idea that like, if Boba Fett is trying to step up and be a leader and he's five to 10 years You know, later or, you know, five years later down that path that Mando is emulating him and everyone else around him. And that that's putting him on that path to leadership, too, just by mimicking those two moments in Return of the Jedi. Uh, The next scene, we see a skull of a crate
1: dragon come into frame and uh, we reveal that it's now attached to the Jawa Sandcrawler. And I think that's not only a funny moment. I think this is set up for next week's episode. We'll talk about that in speculation, but uh, Mando lands in Mos Pelgo and is met with a deputy that tells him to, you can't park here, sir. You know, move your starship. <laughs> and, uh, uh, this is uh JJ Dashna, who plays deputy Scott. Uh, JJ is a stunt guy that has been in over 217 productions. He was a stunt coordinator on the Spy Kids movies, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, uh, Sin City, Shark Boy, Grindhouse, everything but Battle Angel. So he's like Robert Rodriguez's guy. And um, Cobb Vanth and Mando have this fun interaction, uh, a back and forth, which uh, again makes me hope that Cobb Vanth is still alive. Uh, Mando buys him a drink in the saloon and asks for his help to lead a garrison but uh van says his people don't want to fight did
2: did you notice the uh the crate dragons like ribs that they've moved (laughs) inside the bar they're so proud of that kill like everybody has crate dragon bones everywhere now
1: i saw that and i love that but does it even make any sense like how do you get those inside there
2: do you like move them in through the,
1: the the small doors how does that work?
2: Well, you probably, it's like a <laughs> museum, right? They they bring them in one at a time and then reassemble yeah. and rewire them once they're on the inside. Fair
1: enough. Okay, so we learned that Mos Pelgo has now been renamed Freetown, which I'm a little confused because I thought it, like, in the aftermath book, Empire's End, at that point it was already called Freetown because there's a chapter called uh, The Skirmish
2: in Freetown. I think maybe this was just more official. Like they had a vote or something. Okay. Um
1: so Cobb says he'll see what he can do and tells the bartender to round up the town for battle. Uh and then uh there's this moment where a Bantha is feeding from a trough and there's this wind chime that glistens in the sun and we see a figure walking towards the town in a rippling heat mirage. And I don't think we've ever gotten like the feeling of a star Wars Western more perfectly than this moment.
2: It felt like high noon or, or Sergio Leone like it was so there. Yeah.
1: Uh, How soon When you saw the guy walking in the
2: distance, did you know Brian? So it was the first shot. It was really the first shot. I was like, no way they didn't do that. They, they couldn't have done that. And, but they did surely they did. And then as he got kept getting closer, it was like, I can't believe they did it. Um, especially since he's been off the map. Like I figured if Filoni would have left him alive, we, he would have popped up in rebels.
1: Yeah. Um, So the guy who shows up is Cad Bane. Uh, Here's where uh, I leave it to you to do the heavy lifting, Brian. Who is Cad Bane? (laughs) What what do we need to know about him?
2: So before Boba Fett, the most notorious bounty hunter in the galaxy was Cad Bane. Bane is someone who worked for the Sith a lot and for the uh, Separatists. He was prominent in the Clone Wars and every time there was a huge job that seemed insurmountable, he's the one who would get hired. He was hired to break into the Jedi Temple at one point and steal a holocron and he made it out alive. Uh, he was hired to break Zero the Hutt out of prison. Um, he f- went toe-to-toe with the Jedi over and over and over again and always ended up with his life despite the lightsabers. Um, he fought Obi-Wan Kenobi and Quinlan Voss on Nal Hutta. Um, and most recently we saw him on the bad batch. He was actually hired to retrieve Omega and it was Fennec Shand that faced off against him there and sort of prevented him from getting Omega and leaving Omega in the hands of the bad batch. So he has some history with these guys. Um, and again, I'm, I'm saying like, They're really tying Bad Batch into this in really cool ways, and this is just the most recent of them. But but Cad Bane had disappeared for a while. He worked with Boba a lot, too, during the Clone Wars as well, um, alongside Aura Sing. Um, But he's just the coolest bounty hunter, and he's got that big wide-brim hat that he was very much patterned after Lee Van Cleef in uh, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And you can see that in sort of all of his inter- interactions, he's a duros, um, and uh, he's voiced by Corey Burton, who also voices Count Dooku on the Clone Wars, and is just sort of one of those legendary voice actors. As a Disney fan, you'd probably know that he does yeah. a pitch perfect Paul Freeze, and all of the stuff that they've redone on the Haunted Mansion, where they need to re-record stuff in Paul Freeze's voice, is Corey Burton.
1: Yeah, he's done. I mean. You go to his IMDb, he has over 450 credits. He's uh, currently Captain Hook. He's Dale and Chippendale. He's uh, Shockwave on the Transformers, Brainiac in DC, Zeus in God of War series. Uh, he, on uh, Clone Wars, he was also Count Dooku. And he was Hugo Strange in... Batman Arkham Asylum. And also if you're at Disneyland or Disney world, like you said, he's on Haunted Mansion holiday and a bunch of those kind of things, but he's also like the safety announcement, like on the trams and stuff. So he's, he's all over the place. Yeah. Um, You've heard his voice, even if you don't know it. Yeah. Uh, What do you think of his live action adaptation? Because he doesn't quite look like he did in the clone wars.
2: No, he doesn't. Um, And I think it's about as good as you could have expected. I think they did it with a combination of makeup and um masks and things. And it was him, right? I think, to be honest, it's the costume, the hat and the voice that sells him more than his face or his ground down teeth. But I'll be interested to see how he factors into things. And now I didn't even put it together until we're talking about this right now. But like, he's gonna face off against all these all these people in next week's episode, we're going to see more of them. And I'm just like doubly excited now. What is it about these Disney plus TV
1: shows, Brad, where we don't find out like the, 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 the villain that like is like the, the face villain. We usually don't find out the villain until like the, the episode before the last episode of the season.
3: Yeah, it's uh it's been a trend with both uh Marvel and Star Wars now where yeah, we get this big reveal as to like who is the the ultimate bad guy. Um yeah, I don't I don't know. It's 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 interesting if it's Yeah, I guess it didn't
1: happen on Mandalorian, but it happened it happened with WandaVision with uh Ag- I mean, I don't want to spoil all the <laughs> shows, but it's happened on all the Marvel shows basically. So, yeah. It's just uh it's interesting. It is, Uh, but yeah, he looks um a bit more less saturated here than he does in um the animated version. It's not as blue, and also he has like these really sharp pointed teeth that I wasn't expecting.
3: I think I think he looks scarier, to be honest. Like there's there's something about the way his mouth moves that's really menacing, and it's even more scary when you finally see his eyes.
1: For sure, yeah. I like how it kind of like hands down, so the eyes are like a late reveal to it? Well, he he lifts yeah, Yeah, he lifts his head, and
3: his his hat has been obscuring the eyes the whole time, so...
1: Yeah. Okay, so Bane says that they will pay Vanth more than whatever Fett is paying him, just to stay out of it. And he says that Boba Fett was a cold-blooded killer that worked for the Empire. Which is kind of funny, because you just read this whole thing about how he worked for the Sith, and he worked for the Empire,
2: and he I don't think Cad Bane is saying that as an indictment of people who work for the empire. I think he's saying that because everybody keeps saying that Cobb Vanth is this honest lawman, And is Vanth really going to want to throw in with somebody who is that cold blooded killer? Not that he's trying to team up with him himself, but that it's not uh, going to change anything for him. That makes sense.
1: Okay. So Bane says he shouldn't have given up his armor before putting his hand above his gun and there's like this whole Western showdown kind of sequence here. Brad, what did you think of this whole, this whole moment?
3: The uh, well, I immediately knew that Cobb Vance deputy was going to die because he was going to do something stupid. <laughs> uh, so, so that, you know, I knew that was coming, but uh, I definitely wasn't expecting uh, Cobb Vance to get shot. And now we're kind of left wondering, I don't think that they're going to kill him off so suddenly like that. I'm sure he'll be injured. Um, but yeah, it was it was a bummer to see Cobb Vance take a hit like that. And I, I, I don't want him to go away. <laughs>
2: I wonder if that's gonna put him in armor for the next episode. I love that line where he's like, um, "You know, you know, How have you been doing without the armor?" And he's like, "Well, I've been more careful, or whatever it was he said." Yeah, yeah. But um, get, get him I to really, the mod parlor. Yeah, um, but I think they wouldn't have descended on him. Like they all ignored the deputy. It's like deputy's clearly dead, but they ran over to him with like medical gear and stuff. So yeah. I, I would bet that we're we're going to see him. Um, but I, I think it would be cool if he got some iteration of armor, not necessarily Mandalorian armor, because I think the Mandalorian would be upset about that because it's his show now. Um, <laughs> but in something.
1: Well, there's going to be a lot of people with Mandalorian armor in the show, I think, once we get to season three or season four. I yeah. think. <laughs> uh, but uh, I do want to also mention Paul Darnell, he's the guy that actually played Bane. He's the quote-unquote performance artist. So he's the guy on set. Uh, he's usually a stunt performer. He played the Nightwinds Assassin earlier in this season. And he was also Cobb Vance stunt double in Mando season two. So uh, Bane blasts both of them before they even have the chance to draw. And by the way, when... when when he showed up and it was like that, that um, showdown and okay corral kind of moment, um, I was kind of like, "Oh shit!" In my head, this is what I was thinking: I was in my head like, this episode started with Cobbman taking out three people, he showing how fast he was. That was just a setup to show that how fast you know uh, Bane is going to be. And sadly, yeah. I was right. I, I yelled, I screamed from my TV to Kidra in the other room. I was like, "No!" Um, so both of you don't think that Cobb Vanth is dead.
3: No, I feel like it would be an unceremonious death for him, and I think that them leaving on the cliffhanger was intentional. They want us to worry about him for the next week, but I think that the he'll he'll be back, but injured in some capacity uh, when we come back next week.
2: Yeah, get him to the back to tank. <laughs> Boba <laughs> I, Fett's I, I got, got Boba one of those. That's what he'll work in trade for that.
3: Yeah, and then yeah. The, well then we're gonna get the book of Cobb Vanth, and it'll be he'll be in a back to tank and we'll get flashbacks to what Cobb Vanth was up to. <laughs> but well, then halfway we'll get...
1: through the season it'll turn into a Boba Fett show. Yeah.
3: <laughs> there we go. We figured okay, it so,
1: out. So uh, tells the bartender that Tatooine belongs to the syndicate as long as the spice keeps running everyone will be left alone and he walks back out into the desert and uh then we get a we get a scene finally it's um it's a boba fett show again i guess maybe kind of uh two pikes walking to the sanctuary this isn't uh the beginning of a bad star wars joke but this <laughs> is uh what what happens here uh uh what happens so so the pikes leave before their drinks arrive and the server finds the safe just in time for it to explode and brian i'm betting you you're going to tell me there's some cinematic influence there um, is
2: i mean it reminded me of, of of two things one one in Goodfellas where they're just sort of torching bars right um, but also it feels like it has a lot of Godfather. Yeah. When you take uh, Cad Bane uh, in Mos Pelgo simultaneously cut right next to these guys going in and torching the bar, it feels very much like Michael cleaning up business, which makes me feel like whoever it is that's pulling the strings behind the Pike Syndicate is going to be... A big reveal or that Michael Corleone sort of character. Yeah. But it also it has this uh it has that moment from The Godfather a little bit where Garza Fwip sort of realizes it a moment before it happens. Like yeah. Michael and Apollonia in Italy. See, I thought you were gonna
1: say the uh the opening of Intouchables with the girl holding up the briefcase. That felt like um, uh, that- like, oh, you forgot the safe, and then it's like <laughs>
2: Yeah, um, there's that one. There's that one also. There's too many movies and too many movie references, and I just wish <laughs> my head had all of them, man. <laughs> so when this happened now I'm disappointed uh, in myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, Brian. You can't
1: remember everything. Um when this happened, my girlfriend from the other room yelled
2: out, Is Max Rebo dead now? So I went through and watched shot by shot. I didn't see him in the bar. I did too. Figuring yeah. Dan.
1: Figuring D. D. My, Dan might. Well,
3: if, if it's Figuring Dan, maybe, maybe that's not Figuring Dan. Maybe he took the day off and let one of the other band members play that day. <laughs> yeah.
1: In my second viewing, I also went like shot, like I literally like frame by frame <laughs> to see if I could see.
3: See, what they should have done <laughs> is they should have put Joe Yowza in there that day. <laughs>
2: yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, is. uh. Is Garza dead, do you think? I, like, the concussive force and flames out of the front of that uh, lead me to believe that she's, if I had to lay odds I, between her and Cobb Vanth dying, my money would be on her. She's dead. Yeah. It's funny because I was so sure that she was going to turn on on uh, Boba Fett, but
1: it turned out she was, like, the only person that was actually uh, participating with <laughs> that. <whole thing. laughs> And then she died. Yeah. yeah. Uh Okay, so back at the New Jedi Academy, Luke presents Grogu with the choice of either the Beskar chainmail that Mando gifted him or Yoda's lightsaber. He can only choose one. If he chooses the armor, he's choosing attachment. It will have to be returned to Mando. He can't be a Jedi. If he chooses the saber, he'll be trained to be a great Jedi, though through many years of training um uh, what did you guys think of this ending sequence like ending you know another like the cliffhanger on the second episode of this mandalorian uh uh, second mandalorian episode of boba fett is a cliffhanger about grogu this is
2: his empire strikes back moment though
3: yeah, either you go and say yeah, like Luke has to choose between either going to save his friends or completing his training, and we know what choice Luke made. Um, I mean, and yeah. Anakin
2: and Attack of the Clones too. Yeah, with his mom.
3: And this is like it's such a tough thing too, because like you know you feel for him because he's just, he's this tiny little guy. You don't want him to have to, <laughs> to feel that that burden of you know making such a big decision. Um, that's that's a lot of pressure. And then like you know it's. Yeah, it's it's such a tough thing. And like, it almost makes me like, you know, mad at Luke in a way, especially considering, you know, that later he becomes a little more enlightened, uh, you know, by the time Last Jedi rolls around and figure some things out about, you know, the Jedi path and, you know, has kind of a, a new awakening in in a way. And so like, it's frustrating to see him at this point, you know, being such a slave to the Jedi ways and making Grogu make a choice like this.
1: But do you think he's actually a slave to the Jedi ways? Because I don't know when I was watching this, I was kind of like, this is kind of BS because at this point in his life, Luke has the attachment of his sister Leia. He has the attachment of friends, which he, you know, already, you know, care, you know, he cares so much about his friends. And uh, if, you know, the flashback for Rise of Skywalker is to be believed. He's training Leia to be um, but a Jedi, as, and she has a husband. And I don't know. I just feel like as, what I'm arguing here, Brian, is I think by Luke saying a short time for you is a lifetime for anyone else to Grogu, and by presenting this choice, I think Luke wants him to choose to leave.
3: I think that's interesting now that you've said it cuz like it almost it would make for like an interesting reverse of the test to see if Grogu can maybe become a new kind of Jedi that maybe Luke hopes to create if that's if that's the case and then maybe he wants Grogu to have that attachment but he wants to see if that is does actually mean more to him than the the predetermined path of the the Jedi before now.
2: I think this is one of the sticky parts about how squishy the timeline is because as we're talking about this um we don't know if he tried to train leia and she left and he didn't take up training ben before this or after this right so this new attitude that like nope we can't have attachments would make a lot more sense if leia's already like nope i'm out of here i'd rather have my son uh you know live a life and not have to lead to the dark side or die because I, you know, trained as a Jedi or whatever. And so he's, is this the Luke that's already smarting from the loss of his sister in that way? Or, um, and I get the impression from force awakens and the dialogue that Leia and, and Han have is that it's after this period that she sends Ben away to train with Luke, not beforehand. So is this in that interim after he's tried training Leia and, Tried to leave and isn't training Ben and is Ben on his way later. Um,
1: well, Luke's motivations looks, here. I was going to say the layout training looks like, at least in that sequence, that one sequence, looks like it's supposed to be shortly after Return of the Jedi. Like before Midwest is also season one.
2: But they haven't given us a time frame for either of them. Yeah. Like there's Fair nothing enough. that, like, like, so it's like, if that happened already, his motivations make sense in saying like, nope, we can't have attachments because it's causing us problems. And he's foreseeing the problems that he's going to be having too. Yeah. Because that's what, that's what sends him down his path of death.
1: Also, uh, we should mention that this is very lone wolf and cub, right? This uh, choice that's being presented.
2: Yeah. Um, So at the end of the first Lone Wolf and Cub movie, um, and in the graphic novels and stuff, the samurai sort of offers a baby toy or a sword to the child. And if the child picks the toy, he will kill it so it doesn't have to, uh, you know, go with him. And if he chooses the sword, he'll take him up on that life.
1: Okay, so uh, one last thing I want to bring up. I, at first, I felt it was weird that Luke just had Yoda's lightsaber, and the reason why I felt that was weird was in Darth Vader number one, this is of like the new Disney uh, comics, I think it was probably like five or six years ago at this point, maybe seven years ago, or
2: oh, whatever, uh, I think Charles Soule
1: might have wrote Darth Vader number one.
2: He wrote the well. second one, the first one was um, Jason Aaron. No, not Jason Aaron. It was it was uh, it was someone else.
1: Either way, in that book, there's
2: like this moment where,
1: okay, Uh, there's a moment where in Cursant they're basically burning lightsabers. They're like basically like the Jedi Order is done, uh, and in the hand of i forget what the character was was yoda's lightsaber it's unmistakably yoda's lightsaber and they they throw it in the fire and the kybers all heat up and it explodes so i had thought that that was the end of yoda's lightsaber um that said there was this complete locations book Are, are you gonna mention the same thing i was gonna mention
2: no, so there's the Age of Rebellion comics, um, which I did some essays for. Actually, for Marvel, has Yoda building another one. Ah, uh, okay.
1: Well, fair enough. I was so going to say he, uh, there he, was a- he built
2: one to replace.
1: Yeah, uh, th- there's a book called Complete Locations that came out that showed Yoda's hut. Like shows like a what do you call that? Where it's like um, like a, a cross slice. section cross section yeah of Yoda's hut from Empire Strikes back and it showed in the corner that he had his old lightsaber in a box or something like that and uh someone asked Charles Soule about that on Twitter in in 2019 and Charles said he built a new one or he had more than one or Pal- Palpatine made up a fake one to make a point you know errors seek not stories enjoy you should so so that 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 was charles soul's explanation it sounds like uh they actually did it in a comic where you actually see him build the new lightsaber so so there you go uh do either of you have anything else to say about this episode before we get into the speculation i
2: don't think so it was fun Yeah. yeah yeah i feel like
1: like we've been like overly critical but i Really, I've enjoyed these last two episodes. It's just weird as a whole of a season of a show that's supposed to be Boba Fett.
3: Yeah, because I don't think we're being critical of the episodes themselves, you know, because the episodes are good. It's just their placement that is questionable. I, I think like...
2: this we'll be able to recontextualize this once we have the whole series and Mando season three to see that this just fits in as Mando season two point five, but Boba Fett um was a sexier
3: title they should have just gone with the the james cameron route and called it the mandalorians even though boba fett isn't technically mandalorian yeah. well and and
2: rodriguez has been that route before with predators
3: see there we go <laughs> uh
1: it wouldn't surprise me if i found out that that was actually on the drawing board at one point but um boba fett i think probably makes more money for disney so that as a title i think it's a a more profitable title okay let's get to speculation we only have one episode left which seems insane to me because <laughs> the pikes for the first time have i mean i guess they sent the Nightwind's assassin maybe earlier in that but like it really seems like they like we've been waiting for um you know a shoe to drop and it finally dropped like the episode before the last episode <laughs> uh with the bombing uh which do you think Grogu is going to choose, Brad?
3: Uh I mean, I feel like he needs to choose Mando to make to keep Mandalorian going in an interesting direction, because at this point, if since they''ve already giving, they're already giving him this choice then it seems like they're trying to get Grogu back in the hands of Mando so that they can have adventures together again, because I'm sure that they know that's what fans want. And that's probably the more interesting story because otherwise everyone's just going to be waiting for Grogu to come back. Um, And so, yeah, I I feel, I feel like that has to be the choice that he makes.
1: What is the saying though? Like waiting or wanting makes the heart. Uh, I'm not good with the quotes, but anyways, I I think they could pull well, I, like they could drag that out, and then once you have Grogu come back, like it means so much more.
3: I would agree if they already didn't give Mando the ship that has a cockpit just for Grogu. <laughs> yeah. So
2: I think that that's definitely a, a mark in favor of what you're saying, Brad. But I also think we've got the Ahsoka show, and if Grogu makes a choice, it's a choice between which show he's going to show up more on, not necessarily that he's not going to show up or be off the map. But they've also with this episode proven that like, it doesn't even matter. Like we'll get an episode of the Mandalorian. Yeah. That's just Luke and Grogu. If that's what they want to do.
3: That's true. But I, I do think that if they had, they were intending to have Grogu just pop up on the Soka show, then like that would require Ahsoka to do a lot of hanging around with Luke. And it's clear that, she's the one who made the choice not to train Grogu and I feel like she's not necessarily going to be just hanging around Luke and, they'll, you know, they'll be on adventures together because yeah. I'm sure she's got her own shit that she's worrying about.
1: Yeah. She has an Ezra to find. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I think you're... Uh... So wait, Brian, you're you're saying what's going to happen? Who what's going to choose? Well, so. no,
2: I'm saying I'm saying that like I agree with Brad. I think he's probably going to end up back on the Mandalorian. It makes the most sense to put him back on that show because that's the dynamic between the Mandalorian and Grogu is what really sold people on the concept of this Disney Plus TV series thing, right? Yeah. But. The way they've built all of the other shows around it, and how it seems like with Book of Boba Fett, they don't even care if they just jump elsewhere in the narrative and give you someone else's show. Um, he could end up on Ahsoka, or he could end up on the Mandalorian, just not with him. You know, um, they they do have the option to do whatever you want. And I want to remind people too, like we're talking about Dave Filoni, and here's a guy who we all said like ahsoka clearly has to die like that's how the story has to play out right for a long time and he played up on that and he played up on those expectations and built hints up and made us think that she was going to die in a number of situations over the course of the entire series right and not only did she not die she's still around right like he took what everyone was so sure had to happen and then said, no, nah, it doesn't have to happen. Well, he doesn't kill
1: almost any of his characters, right? I mean, I, I mean, he killed off one character in in Rebels. But aside from that, they just keep on reappearing in other TV shows by him.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, Kanan did show up in Bad Batch, too, though. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. He, he did die in Rebels, but he got to come back in Bad Batch. Um, yeah, no, I'd love to see the. I, mean, I, even I think here, that that's. I was gonna say, even here, if Cobb Vanth does die,
1: that's not a character he created. <laughs> no.
2: Yeah. So, what were you going to say? No, I just, like, I think that <laughs> there are characters that he might kill. I don't know. I really (laughs) want to see Rex. Rex is what I want to see, especially since you've got Tamir Morrison sitting right there.
1: Yeah. Well, it's the first time we've seen the clones and the clone troopers in live action since
2: the prequels. So that's cool. And you can hear Tamir Morrison voicing them sort of faintly in the background. It was really cool to get back to that. Oh, really? I didn't notice that. Yeah, Um... you can hear them just, just faintly during the sequence.
1: Okay, well, I agree with you guys. I think Grogu's going to go back with Mando, but I also think that as much as that makes sense business-wise for Disney and selling merchandise and stuff like that, it really felt to me like, you know, you have he left in the, the last episode of Mandalorian Season 2, right? And in Mandalorian Season 3, he's going to be back with them. Like, I don't know, I just felt like even though, yes, there's been some time in this universe and there's other shows showing that time go by I, I just feel like it should have been greater than that, than that. I don't know but uh, yeah I, I I think he's going to choose Mando um, will we find out the answer next week or will we have to wait until Mandalorian season 3
2: I think that we will find out the answer next week um the same way I think last week we were both we were all like are they really going to do it? I don't know, probably it seems like that's where they let it off like they're not going to leave that cliffhanger until the next season because to be honest I really think Luke is going to show up to help fight the Pike syndicate.
3: If Luke you- doesn't show I don't know if Luke will show up to help help fight the Pike syndicate I could see him showing up after the battle is over with Grogu as for like a happy ending for the end of this season of television that leads into season three of the Mandalorian
2: where Boba Fett's standing in the corner going like, wait, this is about my character change. (laughs) Oh boy.
1: So we're going to see you guys both think that we're going to see Luke back on Tatooine again. I mean, it could be emotional. I I could, I could definitely see that, but uh, no, no, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, you mentioned that Fennec knows Cad Bane. Do you, do you think that like relationship is going to come into play in next week's episode?
2: Well, it gives her an easy answer. Like when when somebody says like Who's this guy?" Fennec and Boba can both say like Oh, it's Cad Bane." Oh, and Boba was supposed to go head to head with Cad Bane in
1: like a Clone Wars episode that was unfinished and like. What was it? shelved or something? Was that when like they canceled Clone Wars? Um,
2: right yeah, so they canceled, they canceled Clone Wars and there was, there was a deleted story reel that they had shown where, where Boba and Cad Bane had a face-off and Bane is the one who gives him the dent in his helmet per that story reel. And they both ended up shot... But we never really re- learned the results of that.
1: Uh, why is Bane working with the Pikes?
3: Because they're paying him the most.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, is Cad Bane responsible for the death of the Tuscans? No. I don't think
2: Bane is the sort of guy, Bane's not the sort of guy that, that sits around on Tatooine waiting for somebody to hire him. He just goes from job to job to job. And I think this is the Pike syndicate going like, Hey, this Boba Fett guy's getting out of control. We're going to pay you. And somebody's like, Boba Fett, I'm not going after him. They're like, okay, I'm going to pay you. And they're like, Boba Fett, I'm not going to pay you. And then they go like to Bane and he's like, yeah, I'll take down that punk. Okay, I don't why... think he's been on the payroll the whole time.
1: Fair enough. Why do we think Ahsoka was visiting Luke anyways? Like I don't think she's just like going, I'm gonna go visit my friend Luke and hang out for a
2: bit. Like there there must be a reason why she's there, right? I think that we will find out why a lot of whys about her on her show. Because right now, I, like aside from knowing that she was going after Morgan Elsbeth for information about Thrawn, maybe she's asking for Luke for similar stuff here. Or maybe it is just a, she's an old family friend and the Force pulled her there for some reason. Sure, story expediency might have been the reason, but it could have been something else.
1: Yeah, Now we're going to get two episodes of the Soka show. They have to explain why she went there to... <laughs> See, Luke, before we can get the story going. I'm kidding. I hope. Um, Okay, so in the Order 66 memory, we don't see how Grogu escapes the clone troopers. Do you think we're going to end up learning that either in uh, next week's episode or in the next season of Mandalorian? Brad, do you have any theories on who it could be?
3: Brian was about to say something. I'm going to let him go first.
2: Oh. I was just going to say, we're going to learn who that is in the Book of Boba Fett Season 2. Because it seems to match thematically with what, I don't know, I'm kidding. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, it was obviously Mace Windu, right?
3: Yeah, that makes the most sense.
1: Uh, did, I mean, you it have could be Barriss. Th- but I thought she wasn't even on planet at that Point of time. I, right? She
2: was on planet. She was in prison. But who knows if they let? I don't like. That's how up in the air anything could be. It could be anybody from Barra Sophie who is there canonically to Anakin Skywalker, and they have Hayden Christensen sitting around. Maybe he grabs Grogu,
3: and then maybe Grogu escapes.
2: I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if especially if they're building up hey, the fact that Grogu Darth was already Vader. trained,
1: <laughs> that seems crazy to me, but. I
2: So did Darth Maul's return.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so they mentioned... There was one... That I, I mentioned earlier that we saw the Jawas same crawler and we saw the the crate Dragon on top of it. And I have a theory here. I think the Jawas are going to come into play next, uh, next week's episode. They established last week that the Jawas were able to... Steal stuff from the pikes like ships. Remember, they stole like some parts from the pikes' ships. I'm betting you they're going to be used as more foot soldiers to help them like take down the pikes in next week's episode. What do you guys think?
2: I like, I really think this episode is going to be literally everyone we've seen on this show in the past (laughs) in one huge crossover episode. It's going to be everybody.
1: They're not going to pull out.
3: Max Rebo is going to be back. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Have we ever seen Max Rebo walk? I don't think so.
3: No, we would just see him just just boogieing behind that weird keyboard. Um,
2: It's funny, though. You know, Max Rebo doesn't have, like, like arms. Those are his feet.
3: You know, it's funny. So so I've seen that drawing and that diagram. But if you look. If you look at Max Rebo and you see him in the movies, that's not made clear. And it looks like he is playing the keyboard with his hands. And it's 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 they're not coming from under the keyboard. They're 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 like it's like his arms are bent. So,
2: well, that's those are is those are they're both. I got into trouble. I got into trouble with uh, Pablo with this uh, because one of the source books was like, Toloans don't have hands. They just have these feet. And I'm like, wait a second. My action figure here has a bone to pick with this idea. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Pablo's like, yeah, nope. The puppet didn't have hands. It was his feet and that's how he is. And it's canon. And here's all the books that we've talked about it in. And he schooled me.
1: Okay. I think that that's all I had in my notes for speculation. Do either you have any any thoughts on where this is going to go in the finale before we we get there? Because next week when I talk to you guys, we're going to know. So
3: yeah, I mean, it's the the biggest thing is just going to be seeing who this syndicate is that's pulling the strings behind the pikes, and that that's going to be the big deal that sets the stage for whatever is to come in. Uh, you know, probably all of the series that are still on the way. So I just, I just
2: don't. Here's a crazy why. thought. Okay, go ahead. Bo-Katan. And I'll tell you why. She's trying to get back at the Mandalorian. She's trying to recreate her power base and be able to take all this stuff back. And this is the plan that she was on board with, with Maul, with the Shadow Collective in the Clone Wars, where Maul rounded up all of the criminal syndicates to go back and take over Mandalore again. And if they're positioning her as a bad guy again... Or as someone opposed to the Mandalorian, then she can go back to that ideal.
3: But how would she know that Mando would get caught up in this fight?
2: I think this fight is tangential to Mando getting call, caught up in the fight. She's If she is involved, she's grabbing the pikes so that the, she can help leverage their entire criminal empire. And this is just one little piece of it that Mando gets involved is uh, coincidence? Oh, Okay, I, I, I'm I not sure know. if I buy that. Thought.
1: Bo-Katan is a bad guy in this whole in the the whole scheme of things.
2: There, there's. I don't think she's a bad guy, but I do think that they have been setting up specifically her being a pro, uh, like an antagonist to Dinjarin.
3: Yeah, oh, I, I think, think that's fair, like especially terrible. because she wants the dark saber back. Yeah. Oh, she wants
1: the dark saber for sure, but I think like all the information we learned from the armorer and his sect is like suspect. Do you know what I mean? Like he was in a cult. <laughs> like I, I don't think that's like the what was actually happening. What they said about Bo-Katan. I don't think that's like like necessarily the truth. I mean, maybe it's something believed because obviously she believes that she needs to win it in combat too and
3: I think for me it just seems like a lot of work for her to do for for like yeah. Not necessarily the outcome that she she wants. Like it just feels like a roundabout way for her to get what she wants.
1: I'm just but. wondering why the Pikes care so much about running spice on Tatooine when it doesn't seem like Tatooine is like even that full of like people to buy the spice like it, it seems like a planet it's it's like we, we could avoid it, that planet and like deal with planets that are more uh highly populated and make way more money. Like it just seems I
2: don't, I don't think it's because they're selling it to the population of Tatooine. It's that Tatooine is that way station for scum, like Mos Eisley has been. Okay.
3: Yeah, I, I yeah I think that that's what it is, too. Is like It's just a stopping point, and it's probably easy to get Spice channeled through to other places there because it's in the Outer Rim, and it's probably far less under the eyes of the law.
1: Are we stupid for to keep on assuming that there's someone above the pikes or there's some kind of extra meaning or <laughs> are, are, are we like just not satisfied with what they're telling us as a story about who who the antagonists are? No, because the, the, ha-
3: the pikes don't have a significant enough place in the galaxy to be the primary threat. And they've given us nothing that like provides a, uh, a, a singular figure for us to be scared of, or for the heroes to have to worry about. And so there, there has to be somebody above them that makes this a bigger deal. And
2: you've got th- they've already been part of the Shadow Collective, a uh, cog in a larger machine run by Maul. And Crimson Dawn is, you know, Kira's thing now. So could you imagine Kira showing up? i mean that's what
1: everybody's been wanting uh some other people i saw pointing out online on twitter i'm not sure what this means what you think of this brian but the armorer they noticed that the armorer's helmet has like three horns on it kind of like uh maul horns almost
2: yeah that was definitely something that that came out of maul's time on mandalore Um, is there were definitely people who did that. Uh, Jodo cast was one of them. Um, a number of disciples that, that were as part of death watch sort of disciples of ball did that. And I don't know, that was my initial thought when we first saw her, but she seemed so divorced from everything we'd seen there. Um, that maybe, maybe she wasn't part of that, especially since the Vizla's the Vizla clan, um, well, the Vizsla clan was, was pre-Vizsla. John Favreau's original character um, was part of that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It could just be something that looks cool.
1: Okay, we've gone way over our time today. I'm going to link all the coverage we've done on Slash Film about this episode, including Brian's review. So if you want to go check that out, you can find the link in the show notes. You can find this podcast Every weekday on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, speculation to peter at com. And please rate and read this podcast in Apple Podcast. Tell your friend. tell, tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow.